This is the Orange Podcast, conversations with Orange City Council for the local community. This is Alan Reader. In a week where one more approval for a sports precinct is never enough, you've tuned in to the Orange Podcast. And if you stick around for the whole episode this week, you'll find out how a local group of volunteers is doing its bit to rescue endangered plants. And does Orange have enough water to handle the growth in population expected over the next 20 years? That's all coming your way this week on the Orange Podcast. The long-awaited proposed sports precinct alongside Sir Jack Brabham Park has already had more planning approvals than you've had hot dinners. But this week, there was one more. And realistically, it was the big one. The Western Region Planning Panel gave the overall concept the big tick of approval. And yes, no prizes for guessing just how pleased Orange Mayor Jason Hamling was with the news. I'm over the moon. Um, we finally had two independent bodies look at this project and given, giving it the green light. So um, let's move on. Let's get it built and um, let's get some uh, sporting, cultural, um, whatever we can get out here is going to be a big space. It's, as I said before, it's not only sport. We can have um, a number of things out here. Elton John was in Bathurst. Well, why can't we have him in Orange in a couple of years' time? The big thing with this one seems to be its overall concept approval. There's still some minor little stages with designs of stadiums and athletics track, but the, both planning per- approval agencies have now given the overall big picture approval. That's correct. So both independent, I'll say that again, independent agencies have uh, looked at what we plan for here and they've said yes. So um, that's great news. When will locals see the next stage of work happening on site? The, uh, there'll be some more tree removal, which um, the tender has already been let, so we're hoping that will start around March. And then um, the, the, the design, the earthworks for the, the multi-use fields in the middle, um, that'll go to council in, um, in March as well. So hopefully we can let that tender and um, get on with some shaping, some earthworks. Because of the result of the election, the candidates elected that were solidly behind this, are you seeing a, a change in community feel and about how people are talking about this project? Yeah, well, I think um, I think there's a lot of positivity. When I was on when I was doing my election rounds, um, I didn't get many questions about roads. I didn't get many questions about housing affordable. I got questions about when's this stadium going to be built? When's this sporting precinct going to be built? And we've got to remember, it's an extension of the Jack Brabham sporting precinct that we already have here. So, building these new fields, building a new athletics track for um, athletes, junior athletes, senior athletes who have never had one. It's just great news for Orange, and it puts us. Um, up there when we're competing with other regional centres for major events. And week by week, what, what does it do to the health of local kids if there's more sporting fields to play on? More updated sporting facilities mean more kids playing sport. We get them off those iPads, we get them off those phones. It's great for mental health, it's great for um, you know obesity. We get them out running around in the fresh air and we, as a council we should be providing the top class facilities for them to do it. Orange Mayor Jason Hamling. The other big focus of community interest in what Orange City Council is up to this week took shape at two community info sessions. The new draft housing strategy has been online for community comments for a couple of months, but there's nothing like asking your questions face to face. The big points of contention, how do we get more social housing to let police and nurses buy a home? Should we avoid growing new suburbs on the edges of town by doing infill development better? And a simple question, do we have enough water to service a larger population? The good news is there's a simple answer, and it's yes. 
Water engineer John Francis was at both community info sessions. He loves to get out from behind his desk to hear the questions people are actually asking. Look, it's always um, it's always good to to make contact and and talk to the community, see what their concerns are. Um, in this particular case, the housing strategy is on public exhibition, and so there's aspects, many aspects involved with that. We had a wide range of people in the audience, uh, but one of the common concerns was water and how we would provide water into the future to meet uh, population demand driven by um, extra housing. Let's look at some of the questions that came up in the Housing Strategy Forum this week. Are people, are you as an engineer confident that we have enough water for the future? Yes, we are. Um, the Housing Strategy uh, sets a forecast of population growth and um, there's work done on uh, with water modelling to, um, to check or... Uh, to check that we're able to meet that demand, that housing demand. And so, yes, yes, I am confident. Where does that confidence come from? Talk to me about the science and this thing called secure yield. How do we come up with a figure to try and predict how much water we'll receive from uh, the skies and and our water sources in in 20 years' time? So secure yield is is quite a simple concept um, and... What it is is really about how much water we have. It's not the capacity um, in a dam, as an example, but rather the, it's based on some modelling that's done um, around assumptions on runoff into the future, and that might include climate change as, as one factor. Um, it might include a, a, um, a bad drought, as an example, as another factor. And so we're able to forecast or model um, how much water we'll have into the future. That includes things like uh, water restrictions, Um some people seem to imagine I'll need as a community to be able to splash water on my footpath every other day as a demonstration of my secure water needs. Is, is having some restrictions always going to be part of the package for Orange? Yeah, look, it would be absolutely desirable to never have water restrictions, but unfortunately that's not economically viable. Um, the calculations that we do do, however, look to limit how many how many times we're on water restrictions. So um, it does allow for some water restrictions in, in our forecasting. Climate change, is that part of the package as well? Yeah, sure. So that's a, that climate change is factored into our calculations, um, which is there's a fair bit of number crunching in it and it does rely on computer models to do that. Those, those, all these rules that are, that are set, including climate change, um, those, that's set by the state government. So we play, play by those, those rules. We factor in the assumptions into the modelling that's generated. To get to the point where we need to have enough water, we'll need to build an extra wetland in East Orange. Um, is that going to be essential for the future? Yeah, right now we've got an application in, to the, in with the state government to assess our proposal. And one of the things I talked about at this and at the um, public forums, and which is also in the um, housing strategy document itself, is shows the importance of that East Orange harvesting wetland has been a very important factor for the way forward alongside the Macquarie Pipeline and, and uh, raising the height of Simmer Park Dam, the stormwater harvesting is really some of the factors that have kept us going through this last drought. Yeah, it's been hugely successful. It's um, not only on the water quantity front, but on the quality side of things as well. So um, we, we're all in love with the scheme. It, it's, a, it's something which is um, proving, talking about modelling, it's proving to, um, to be successful against what's been forecast. An interesting question that came up at, at one of the community forums this week was, what does sensitive design 
um, and the prospect of having a, a new subdivision um, out on Cleargate Road that might be water neutral. Is that a realistic thing? Absolutely. So there's different examples of water-sensitive urban design around Orange already and um, has been the case for, for many years. Different development areas have a different extent of of water-sensitive urban design features. So um, as the town grows, I'm sure we'll see more and more features uh, implemented. Water Treatment Manager John Francis. And if you want to have your say on the draft housing strategy, you've got until February 21 to get a submission in. Details on the Your Say Orange website. Just Google it. Here's a question. Is it the job of local government, like Orange City Council, to bring back an endangered native plant from the threat of extinction? It's a worthy cause, but it's hardly a core issue for a council, like rates, roads or rubbish. But what if there was a group of community volunteers with some expertise who could do the hands-on work and then produce enough of the endangered plants to grow in a council facility like the Botanic Gardens? That's exactly what's happened with the friends of the Orange Botanic Gardens, who are working with garden staff and the New South Wales Government's Save Our Species program to look after a native plant on the brink. I'm Susan Sanders, President of the Friends of the Orange Botanic Gardens. We're purely a volunteer group. We grow plants. We have sales twice a year. We're a very enthusiastic group and a good social group. Tell me the story of how you got involved with uh, helping to protect an endangered plant. Well, we were approached by the Department of Environment, Planning and um, Industry and our Nigel Hobden uh, um, with the Council for Parks and Gardens and that sort of thing approached us and said we have these endangered plants would the friends be interested in raising them and um, getting them to a stage where they can be planted in the botanic gardens uh, for, for, for security for the future um, for, so that um, they can be eventually put back into the uh, to, to their own environment and so we said, yes, we'd be delighted. And we may be approached later on to do the same sort of thing with other endangered plants. A volunteer group like this also has lots of expertise. What's the expertise in the group here that you've brought to bear on this problem? Well, I'm a horticulturalist. We've got um, three hort- uh qualified horticulturalists here. Some people have never done anything at all with propagation and we're more than happy to teach them and we've just had about six more applications for membership. Another horticulturalist and a person that used to be with the growing friends in the Royal uh, Sydney Gardens. Most of us are retired of course but that's not necessary at all. Anybody's welcome to come along and we'll teach them what we know. We have one chappie here that's um, been working at Mount Tomar uh, as a volunteer for past years, and he's got fresh ideas for us. We're here in the potting shed, standing alongside the, the plants. How, you, how would you describe their progress? Very, very good indeed. There were little tiny things when they came to us uh, in, in a peat mixture, which is not suitable for them, but that was just to get them off the ground. We've potted them on in a sort of a more gravelly uh, uh, potting mi- mixture, which is true to their environment. Um, they've come... They're, Around Wellington, Bathurst and Dubbo is their habitat and um, not particularly good soil. So we've uh, um, introduced gravel with the uh, potting mix and um, they're looking well. They've flowered. They've just passed their flowering stage now and uh, they will be um, 
ready to be put into the gardens as soon as the council staff can do it. They're very busy at the moment with weeding and cutting grass and what have you. French President Sue Sanders. One of the volunteers is Chris Mills, an expert who used to work rehabilitating native scrub in the mining industry. This is what I'm what I'm bred for, I think. Um, it's the, the sort of thing that uh, it, it presents a real challenge because a lot of the native species, we don't really know how they uh, propagate in the wild and it's an opportunity to, to do some of that work here as part of our, um, uh, our program to try and encourage the, the local native species. For example, what, what are the different ways that, that plants like this can get started? Or is that part of the mystery? It is part of the mystery. Um, I you don't know whether they've ever tried to propagate these from seed, but these ones were done from, from seedlings, actually, um, which is not the most common way to do it. Normally, we would try cuttings and seed if it was available, and certainly if we establish a population here, we can monitor it very carefully and uh, also take cuttings so we can try more traditional methods to see what works for this particular plant. Is this a particularly interesting plant or is it just worth doing because for biodiversity reasons? Well, for both that, it's, it's interesting, interesting in its own right and certainly for biodiversity uh, it has a very small population uh, so any, any way we can increase that uh, distribution um, we can, uh, is a great thing for the uh, particular species involved. A really small population in a couple of areas puts it at risk from Things like bushfires, a, a cow getting inside a paddock, that sort of thing? Very much so, like this one on the mountain called Prostanthra Gilesi. Um, it, was ne- it was nearly wiped out in the fire that was up there a few years ago. However, we've been growing uh, from cuttings uh, very successfully for about the last eight or nine years, I think, and uh, we sell around about 100 plants a year each year. Um, and they are available to go back into the wild if they're uh, if they're needed. Is it good to get an endangered plant in people's backyards, and why? More plants, the better in that context. Uh, and the more places they are, the more likely they are um, to be uh, um, to survive in the wild. Would you encourage other people with similar skills or just an interest in getting involved in the friends? Absolutely, because there's there's a lot that can be done. Um, our um, certainly in the native area, but there's a lot of things which we do not know about uh, and we do do some experimentation in there to try and work out what's suitable for different plants. Chris Mills from the Friends of the Orange Botanic Gardens and thanks for joining us this week. Before we go, a quick reminder that you can find this Orange podcast under almost every rock. The buttons look different, so you can follow us on Spotify, subscribe on Google Podcasts, on, and on Apple Podcasts, you can leave us a review. And thanks for the punters who are leaving us a five-star rating on Apple. Glad you're enjoying it. Until next time, this is Alan Reader. Bye for now.